It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Friday episode of Locked On Raptors, the series is pretty much over. The Raptors are down 3-0. Unless Doc Rivers pulls something out of his hat, the Raptors are probably not winning this. So it's time to reflect on what we've learned about the Raptors this season and through two postseason games and what we can learn in Game 4 and potentially beyond over the weekend. And joining me to talk about all of these big Raptors questions is Rohan Nadkerny from SI.com and the Open Floor Podcast. Very exciting guest. I'm super happy to have him on. We're going to throw some fake trades by him as well at the end of the show. And all all that and so much more coming up on today's episode of Locked on Raptors. Thanks for being here. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked on Raptors, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1163 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, April the 22nd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors, and you can subscribe, follow, rate, review, all that good stuff, and all your favorite podcast apps for the low, low price of On the House. You can also go to YouTube and subscribe to the video version of the show. Even if you're not going to watch the videos, please just subscribe so we can juice the stats. That's all I really ask and a big thank you for making us your first listen of the day all right on today's show it's viking funeral time it seems the raptors don't seem long for their series against the sixers game four is on saturday afternoon and so instead of previewing that game and sort of getting into the nitty-gritty of that i figured we could take a bit of a bigger picture look at the season the playoff series so far and i have a wonderful guest on hand here today to answer some of those big raptors questions it is rohan nagrini from the wonderful open floor podcast my favorite NBA podcast, I must wow. say. So I'm very happy to have you on the show. Rohan, thank you for being here. How are you, man? I'm great. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you for the kind words about the podcast. Um, I'm carried by Michael Pina and Chris Herring. So, uh, I, I appreciate we, you We don't need that. to talk about that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's a he's a regular guest on the podcast whenever I want to uh, slander the Boston Celtics. He's not been on this year because yes, there's not been much been, to slander. Why why tough. bring him on? The propaganda <laughs> machine is out of control, and there's very little we could do about it. So it's yeah. not an easy time to be a Celtic skeptic, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I fear Pina might not be on the podcast until like 2026 <laughs> or something like that, very sadly. It's a bummer. But we got you instead, uh, and that's wonderful. Thanks for being here. Uh, happy to finally get you on the podcast for the first time. Um, so yeah, we're going to dig into some big picture questions Raptor, about the Raptors today. I, I do at the end want to entertain a little bit in terms of fake trades, just because, you know, that's what the people want, Rohan. They don't want to talk about the games. They want to talk about the trades three months from now, and that's fine. We'll indulge. It's a little timely because a certain team that might have a couple of potentially available stars uh, pooped the bed last night against the Mavericks, and so we'll get to that at the end. But 
right now, I kind of want to just sort of take a 10,000-foot view. I've been trying to do that a lot in this series because uh, it's how I'm uh, sort of making myself feel better. Um, but, you know, I guess to begin... The Raptors are this kind of interesting experiment this season. They're playing without anyone who's over six foot nine. They're trying this novel play style. They often play with only guys who are six foot nine. And I think there was a lot to be sort of guessed at about what it was going to look like in the postseason. I don't know if it's been entirely a representative sample here in the playoffs, considering the injuries the Raptors dealt with, specifically in Game 2. Uh, obviously, Game 1 was a whole nightmare of its own, and then Game 3 was a close game, and they lost because Joel Embiid is a monster. Um, I guess, Rohan, you know, I, I think from my understanding and listening to Open Floor this season and reading your stuff, you seem pretty in on the concept of the Raptors as a whole. Where do you feel now, three games into this series? Are you at all deterred from Vision six foot nine or anything like that? Where, what's your sort of overall view of just like how viable is this play style and these specific players playing it? Uh, you know, going forward beyond this year. I mean, I think in a vacuum, I still really like the playing style, and I think they've had good moments in this series uh, against the Sixers. Obviously, losing Scotty Barnes, who is such a key piece to what they're doing. I mean, mm -hmm. when you when you're playing such an experimental style, I think your your margins for error are a lot slimmer, and they they kind of lost that margin. You know, losing Scotty, he was their primary defender against James Harden in Game One. <laughs> uh, losing him, I I definitely think has hurt them. I mean, at the same time, obviously, every team deals with injuries in the playoffs. It's not an excuse, but I think it's important context when we're discussing how does this work at a whole. So while I think in a vacuum, this is still an interesting way to play, and I think you can have success with it, I think at the same time, you have to have situational players for what you're going to see in the playoffs. Yeah, And that's a, a fancy way of saying every team in the East needs to at least have some kind of game plan for Embiid. Yeah. And, you know, to the Raptors' credit, I mean, they held him to 5 of 15 shooting in game one. Uh, there's been times where he's looked uncomfortable or sped up, but you know they're they're bringing the doubles his way. There's so much defensive attention on him and Harden. It's allowed Maxi to go off in a couple of these games. Mm -hmm. uh, he's getting to the foul line a ton. There's obviously no team in the NBA that feels completely comfortable guarding Embiid one on one. But gosh, the Raptors would be in a much better position if they at least had somebody they could let you know you think could win a couple possessions against him in the post, and your defense is not in scramble mode. Sure. For a full 48 minutes. So I, I do think that you also have to have awareness of what it's going to take to get through your conference. And yeah. for teams in the East, that means having an answer for Embiid. Yeah, that makes sense. And I have said this season, I, I think, you know, it, go, getting that like final piece to go for the specific matchup feels to me like a problem for the future Raptors more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think there were designs on winning a title this season, and it just so happens they got the worst possible big man matchup they could have. Like, I think they probably could have navigated pretty well against other teams. Um, and I would imagine they'll reevaluate and sort of take a look at those situational players in the future. But I will say, I'm pretty encouraged otherwise by the sort of way they've gotten by. Dog appearance. We love dog appearances dog on the pod. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> marking it ghost. It's all right. He's apparently not a fan of the... No, the Raptors no. Experiment. traditional yeah, yeah. centers get two seven yeah. footers out there. Yeah. Like get the Abaka Gasol He's front a court big again. Zach Randolph yeah. fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've been encouraged by one guy in particular about like sort of 
the viability of the vision going forward. Because I, like, I think you need to have center skills on mm-hmm. the floor. You need to have guys who can, you know, screen and dive and do what centers typically do and guard opposing bigs. And I think the guy who's done the best job of that in this series and kind of all season is a guy you're familiar with as a Miami Heat acolyte is Precious Achua, who uh, played the game of his life on Wednesday in Game 3 only to miss those two free throws late. That sucks, but hey, he's 22. That's the kind of stuff you got to go through, I suppose when you're getting your feet wet. Um, What's your view of Precious? I mean, you watched him as a rookie where he took exactly one three and missed it and was kind of just this sort of... I don't want to say like lumbering, but that's sort of like the, uh, like at least on offense, like just maybe not lumbering, though. That's not the word. It's clumsy and uh, unrefined, I would say maybe is more the word there. What have been your thoughts on Precious this season? How have you liked what he's looked like in this, uh, in this series so far? And, you know, my whole stance on him is he's the guy that makes this whole team building concept viable if he can be your long-term center, even if he is a little bit shorter than your typical seven-foot bruiser. Uh, where are you at on Precious and you know his sort of development this season after kind of being a bit of an afterthought on the Heat last year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think watching Precious grow into the player he has is, is definitely fascinating. You know, with the Heat, I think that they wanted him to be a little bit more of a traditional rim-running type center someone mm-hmm. who, like you mentioned, is screening and diving, playing around the hoop. Uh, and he does have those skills. I, I think it's great that Nick Nurse has kind of expanded his game. The thing with Precious is, and it's kind of like the the blessing and the curse, is <laughs> finding the right role for him because, you know, there are moments, like you said, I think game three, you look at his stat line, you look back on it, you're like, this guy was incredible. He was one of their best players on the floor. But I think that next step in his development is going to come with the decision-making, yeah. uh, knowing kind of when it's time for him to take over and when it's time for him to defer, like guys like Siakam and, and Fred Van Vliet. I don't think he's always done a good job of that. And I, I don't think it worries me because, like you mentioned, he's only 22 years old. Um, all these guys are young. All these guys are trying to prove themselves. So I understand where it's coming from. But I do think – you're onto something like he's kind of the, the piece that can make it work, right? Because you need mm-hmm. someone who, I mean, just take Embiid out of it for a second. I mean, you need someone who can at least match up with the other guys five on most nights. Um, but to me, it's just about you need to marry kind of his skill set uh, to the role he should be playing. Mm-hmm. And it feels like maybe Precious sometimes wants more than that, which <laughs> I think is natural for players, right? I mean, well, why should I put a ceiling on him? But I think that's going to be a little bit of a balance uh, that the Raptors have to strike moving forward. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And to his credit, I think he's struck that balance a little bit more and more as the season's gone along. Mm-hmm. I was just like, there were so many moments in that game, in game three, where he put up 20, where like the thing that he did in that game just was not even part of his repertoire at the beginning of the season. In particular, yeah. the late offensive rebound and putback that he put up, it's a simple play. But in November, he grabbed the offensive rebound, bring it down to the ground for some reason, get it slapped away, miss a bunny, turn it over for some reason. Like that little bit of growth and just sort of the, I don't know, the composure in that very small facet of the game, like that's been noticeable. It has has sort of the the more control that he's instituted when he has the ball in his hands. There's still uh, a roller coaster element to be sure. <laughs> he is he is a ride of a on, player to watch. On fast but... breaks, sometimes it is really just you have no idea which way. To go. <laughs> 
Yeah, sometimes he's going to pull up from three like he's Kevin Durant. Yeah. Sometimes he's going to boot it into the third row, and you just got to live with it, baby. Um, Rohan, we're going to continue on. I want to ask you about Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet, who in Toronto the last couple of days have been taking a bit of a battering. I, mm. uh, you know, have some thoughts on that. I'm curious what you think. That's coming up in just one second here. But first, I do want to tell you about our friends over at Bet online.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info find all the latest sports developments league reviews and news including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the major league baseball season and uh, you're going to always have the information to be an informed wagerer when you go to bet online they have podcasts they got injury rundowns everything you might need to make a proper uh you know bet bet and not lose your money and throw it away and piss it away if you want to go and do the happiness hedge that i've been talking about doing for the playoffs this this year where you bet on the Raptors to lose so that if they lose you get money but if they win you're happy because they won go and do that ahead of game four the best way to uh, ensure that you're not feeling all that despair if they end up going out in four games head to the website today use your mobile device learn more about the trends in the action bet online is where the game starts no matter what moves you made last year turbo tax experts make them count did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse that's a move Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. File with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. We continue on here with uh, your first listen of the day, Locked on Raptors with the Rohan Nagrini of SI.com and the Open Floor Podcast. Uh... Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, not so good, especially in the second half against the Sixers in Game 3. Fred's had a rough, I would say, last couple months ever since the All-Star break. It's just not been the same as it was beforehand. Uh, Please, next year, uh, preserve him and prevent his bones from becoming dust. Please, Nick Nurse, just begging you. Uh, With Pascal, I mean... It's really a bummer, I think, and I'm not sure how much you're in the sort of echo chamber of Raptors internet, which is a place to be, certainly, uh, not a recommended place most of the time, um, but it feels like one bad game of going 6 of 16, going scoreless in the second half, has kind of turned all the goodwill Pascal generated once again this season with his borderline All-NBA season, and, you know, I know the YouTube comments on this program and just sort of the general t- tone and tenor of... Toronto media. I mean, I did a radio hit yesterday where people were asking me, is he the guy, quote unquote? And it's just like, okay, this is boring. What are we doing? Um, But I'm curious, like, what have been your impressions of Pascal this season going into next year? Like, is there anything that we've kind of learned here in the postseason? My take on it is I came into the year thinking, yeah, he can probably be the number two on a very, very good team that has championship aspirations, probably not a number one. And I think that's kind of been proven to be true. And I think that's fine. Where are you at with Pascal and where he kind of slots in here on this team going forward yeah i mean i'm a big fan of his and i do think he's probably earned that you know a third team all nba selection um i'm i'm just happy for him you know after that series in the bubble and you know last season was probably a struggle for that entire team i still don't think we talk enough about how the entire organization was was you know rerouted in, in tampa 
Um, and the start of this season, you know, it was like, is this, is the all-star version of this guy gone? And and I'm just glad he found that form again. I think he's a very exciting player when he's on. I, I do think you're right. I, I, I struggle to believe he can be the number one on a true championship team. You know, at the same time, like they've just run into a team that, you know, and I, I think Freddie, like he he's generally taking the shots that I think he's good at, that the step backs, yeah. the pull-ups. I mean, he kills teams with that. He's killed teams with that for so much of his career. Those shots just have not been falling, unfortunately, for him this series. And it happens in the playoffs. When we've, saw, we've seen him go on a crazy hot streak that, you know, frankly, is also not sustainable. So I, I don't think that this is this is who Fred Van Vliet is now. Right. Siakam, I think what you're seeing is, I mean, when you have an elite rim protector in Joel Embiid, he's going to mess up a lot of great half-court offenses. And I think the Raptors aren't necessarily great half-court scorers in general. Yeah. You combine that with the fact that, I mean, you have an elite rim protector, someone who you you can see. I mean, Siakam can't really go into the lane. It allows, it gives the Sixers perimeter defenders uh, so much more confidence in guarding him. Like Tobias Harris, I think, is playing some of the best defense of his of his life right now. I it's been very part- troubling to see Tobias Harris <laughs> yes. not be a pumpkin, man. It's really, really throwing yeah. me for a loop. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I think part of that is is he's confident he can play Siakam as tightly as he wants to because the back mm-hmm. line of his defense is Joel Embiid. That means he can get his hands on all those spin moves, you know, make the strips, the deflections, etc. And if Siakam's ceiling, quote-unquote, is he's not going to score elite in the half court against Joel Embiid. There's no shame in that. That's a lot of guys (laughs) in the NBA. So, you know, how this team goes from here to a championship contender. I mean, that's very difficult. Uh, I'm glad that's Masai Ujiri's job and not mine, but I think Siakam to me, at the very least, you want to collect guys who, you know, can belong on the floor in a playoff series. Sure. Um, And I think he's absolutely that kind of player as much as he's, you know, I think even like game one, for example, I think he was eight of 15 or something like that. And you, you look back at the stat line, it looks like a, a fine game. His impact, I think, has definitely been muted in this series. You, mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. He'd probably be the first to tell you, but I don't think that means he's the, the kind of guy you, you get rid of or you're looking to move on from. He still brings a lot of value to this team. Yeah, I'm fully with you. It's, you know, it's this whole trade the two good players and uh, they'll be better, right? Like, no, that's not how it works. Have you ever paid attention to how you build basketball teams? Like, collect as many good players as you can. And in particular, if you have Scotty Barnes, who's on a rookie contract, who looks like he might be able to potentially ascend to that sort of top role on the team in the hierarchy, uh, it seems like a pretty good idea to have that very good known quantity of a supporting cast in place. Like, how many teams in the last 10 years would kill to have had a supporting cast around a star rookie the way the Raptors already have in place? Like, if you're the the Mavericks, for example, maybe not the best example right now because their supporting cast is punking the Jazz, uh, but, like, you know, if, if they had had some semblance of a supporting cast similar to the Raptors have around a, an early stage Luka Doncic, like, have they made a conference finals by now? Probably. Like, it's a good thing to have good players on your team and the sort of fickle, fragile subset of uh, people who talk about the Raptors and kind of miss the point with Siakam. Like, what is your answer if you're dealing Siakam? Like, how, how is the team getting better? What are you parlaying him into that actually improves the team? And we, we can talk about that in the final segment. Um, I do want to ask you about Scotty because 
Huge bummer not getting to see him play throughout this series. He was so damn good in game one. Hopefully we see him in game four, even if it's just to get him some extra reps. I don't think the Raptors are going to be dumb and play him if he's not ready or anything like that, but sounds like he's projected to maybe be ready to go, in which case, awesome. Let's see what he can do in the playoff pressure cooker for another t- another game or two here. Um where are you at on the sort of upside of Scotty Barnes? Like, do you think it's viable for the Raptors to look at what they have in the offseason and say, hey, like, we've kind of got the recipe here. Maybe we just, like, reorganize how things are, you know, the, the dynamics of the team, shift responsibilities a little bit, and just kind of let Scotty eventually ascend into that sort of top of the hierarchy role. Like, are, do you think that's viable for him after one season of seeing him play? Do you think it's unfair to heap that upon him so early? Where are you at with Scotty and his uh, sort of ability, do you think, to become that sort of, you know, lead dude who can go and score on Joel Embiid in a playoff series if you need him to? Uh, I'm a massive Scotty Barnes fan. and I, You know, in game one, for example, I love the edge he brought to that game. He looked like he belonged uh, yeah. right on the floor immediately in a playoff setting. I think he just found a perfect home in Toronto. I mean, even early in the season before he was really making of his rookie of the year case, he was such a good passer. He's just someone who I think belongs on the floor. Like he can, he finds ways to contribute even when he's not kind of scoring yet. To me, I think he's obviously a very important part of this team. I don't, I think you have to be careful how much you put on his plate, you know, too soon. Sure. Um, I want to see another year of him with the ball in his hands more, being asked to score more before I'm ready to say, you know, he's this kind of guy on a championship team or this kind of guy. I think he can obviously be very effective. Um, Another interesting aspect of this, I mean, you think of someone like Tyler Hero on the Heat, right, who who puts up some of these big scoring nights and, uh, you know, he's had the comment, I think I belong in the Trey Luka category, which is fine. I think all no players (laughs) should sell themselves – short truly at the end of the day sure but there's a different level of responsibility that he's playing with when he's on a team with jimmy butler and kyle lowry and even bam Adebayo. and the same goes for scotty barnes there's a different level of responsibility that he has compared to someone like Cade cunningham right sure who's on a very bad team that doesn't have a siakam that doesn't have an all-star in van vliet so i i think that I just don't think that they should push the cart uh, or push the horse in front of the cart, I guess, or cart in front of the horse. There we go. Um, (laughs) I I think that they should kind of let it develop naturally. I don't think that they should force it like, oh, we're going to turn Scotty into a 23-point-per-game scorer next season. I I think they should try to develop it more naturally, kind of see where things fall with him, uh, see if he's able to take the reins as a scorer before kind of pushing all that responsibility onto his plate. Because that's a a big burden for, for players to carry. For the record, I'm with you. I, I think, you know, it's nice to envision a world in which Scotty is a 27% usage guy by the end of next season. And if that happens, like, holy shit, you're cooking with fire. But yeah. I, also, they're in a position, I think, where they can be patient with it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yes. I, I think there's this, like, compulsion to be like, well, Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet are in their age 27 season. They're ancient. They're going to die soon. And it's like... Like, Kyle Lowry was 27 in 2013-14 when the whole thing kind of started. And, like, I mentioned that radio hit I did yesterday and sort of the questions that you start getting when the playoffs are on and they get a little bit wild. You know, someone compared asked me to compare this team to the 2017-18 team that lost to the Cavs in the second round. And it's like, talk to me five years, maybe, when they've gone through yeah. that kind of toil over and over again. Like, it's just not even remotely in the same ballpark. And I feel like... 
it's a bummer because I think dudes like Siakam and Fred get evaluated through this kind of warped lens where because they were part of the championship team a couple years ago, they're just kind of evaluated the way you would have evaluated guys back in 2019, like through the lens of, oh, is this guy going to be a, you know, a, a figure on the championship team? Like those questions don't have to be answered right now. They're ahead of schedule. They were 48 and 34 Absolutely. with an over under of like 36 wins, right? Like it's, you know, worry about these big things later on. With that, we're going to pivot into massive trade talks in the five-pack part of the show. I also want to ask you about Kyle Lowry a little bit before we go, because uh, I believe the rooting interests of Raptors fans are about to shift pretty heavily to the Miami Heat in the second round. We'll get to that in one second here to close out the show. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar, who are making the best-tasting protein bars in the game. I'm not someone who likes protein bars typically, but a protein bar from Built Bar is something I can eat for sure, because it tastes just like a candy bar. It's got the texture of a candy bar. You're really tricking yourself and making you feel like you're indulging in something sweet and tasty and, and bad for you. And in fact, Built Bars, pretty good for you, all told. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs, and 17 grams of protein in your standard Built Bar. If you compare that to, say, a regular candy bar, you're getting about half the calories. You're getting about an eighth of the sugar as well, which is massive. And they have flavors for everybody. They got nut-free flavors for those with aller allergies. They're keto-friendly. They've got, you know, sweet flavors like mint brownie and, you know, salted caramel. You've got fruity flavors as well. Raspberry's really good. They've got uh, all sorts of limited-time flavors that pop up on the website as well seasonally. So go check them out. Find the Built Bar for you. Go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, to get 15% off your order. That's the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring, but for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And we round out your first listen of the day here with Rohan Nagkuni from SI.com and the Open Floor Podcast. Rohan, I told you before the show I wanted to run some fake trades by you. Uh, that's one of my favorite I'm things excited. you and Michael do. I'm, yeah, I'm excited because <laughs> I've been hearing about these fake trades for a little bit now, so... I'm really, really excited to see what these guys... Well, yeah. I mean, it's less... I, I, I don't want to disappoint you. I don't really have, like, the trade machine fired up with the exact particulars gotcha. all in place. Fair. We'll just Fair. sort of theorize a little it's bit. Vibes. Um, it's vibes. Yeah. Vibes. Speaking of vibes, the guys on the team that we're going to talk about, uh, the worst vibes you could possibly have, which makes me suspect of uh, any trade that we're going to get to here. But, you know, the offseason is coming up, and... While I think this is probably going to be a pretty chill offseason for the Raptors, we know that Masai Ujiri is very opportunistic, Bobby Webster very opportunistic. When something presents itself, they will go and do it if they think it can improve their station. And I think the Raptors kind of over the last few years have positioned themselves with the contracts they've handed out to guys like OG and Gary Trent and Fred and Siakam and all that. 
Like, they're in a spot where they're pretty maneuverable and able to strike if something happens. They don't have their first round pick this year, but they have all of them beyond that. And they do have those guys I mentioned. They've got Precious Achua, who's a pretty interesting piece as well. And I wonder if maybe if there's going to be a fire sale down in Utah, if they flame out when they flame out in this series against the Mavericks, uh, you know, is there something there? I think... We'll start with Gobert, I guess, because that's the one everyone seems to want because everyone wants a center on the Raptors. They're just so, so thirsty for someone taller than six foot nine. And Gobert is the guy that everyone kind of circles. And obviously, if you got Gobert on this Raptors team, you're probably looking at like the number one defense in the NBA immediately, considering what they do well, considering the, the wing defense that would be around Gobert, that hypothetical situation is the complete polar opposite of what we've seen around him with the Jazz. Um, so I, I'm curious, like, do you think there's a fit there with Gobert on the Raptors considering, you know, while he would fix the defense and the center void, I suppose, you're also looking at a guy who would not fix the half court offense issues necessarily, and is probably, you know, moving somebody from the wing core out and sort of altering the way the team plays in terms of its core identity. Is Gobert at all an interesting fit for you with the Raptors? And if so, like, is there, you know, like a combination of Gary Trent Jr. and OG Ananobi and some future picks that works for you? Or is that too much for the Raptors to give up? Also, the vibes have to be considered as well. And boy, oh boy, Rudy Gobert carries with him a lot of baggage in that department as well. Where are you at with the Gobert Raptors potential fit? Honestly, I think it's really intriguing. And that's for a few reasons. First of all, you mentioned the offense. The Jazz actually had the best offense in the NBA, right, during That's the true. regular season. Uh, yep. Gobert, I think, was uh, 1.25 points per possession, somewhere around there, maybe even higher in pick and roll. Could you imagine yep. Fred Van Vliet uh, having a pick and roll partner like Rudy Gobert, what that could do for him? I think Scotty Barnes actually, having a pick and roll yeah, partner like Rudy of Gobert. Of course, of course. <laughs> I, think in ways, I think in ways it could help their half-court offense. It would give them some kind of structure, give them something to lean on. You can surround him with shooters. Ultimately, more Jazz currently do. Uh, defensively, you mentioned, I think the Raptors have the wing defenders to kind of make up for what's happening to the Jazz right now, which is Donovan Mitchell's getting blown by on every switch in the fourth <laughs> quarter, and people want to blame Rudy for it when he's doing his job. He's protecting the paint. Every time his, uh, every time his wing defenders get beat, he's protecting the paint. He's forcing those kickouts, and the Mavs mm -hmm. shooters are unfortunately just uh, capitalizing on every opportunity. So I think it's really interesting. The question becomes, what do you give up? Because I think Barnes yeah. is obviously untouchable. I mean, if you're in a situation where you have uh, Scotty, Freddie, Siakam, and Gobert still on the team, and whether it's Precious filling that fourth spot uh, or you find another wing, honestly, I, I'm in better, but I, I'd really love to see it play out. And, and I say that as someone who's a huge fan of OG. I mean, you guys know mm -hmm. how good the team was with him actually on the floor this season. Um, yeah. I think Gary Trent had a fantastic year. I, I was just talking to someone the other day who was like, there's no way he only shoots 38% from three because I've never seen him miss from out there. <laughs> I mean, he was just a flamethrower for stretches this, this season. So you're not punting on those guys because they're bad. I, I think they've had really good years. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think Gobert – 
is in just kind of the worst situation for him right now, where I think that team has lost trust in each other. They've unfortunately just had too many playoff defeats and there's just a limit to what he can cover up for. And their perimeter defense is getting completely sliced up. I, I would, I would just like to see him play on a team uh, that was a more active involved and cover up wing defense. And I think, I think the Raptors could do that. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a compelling case. And, and I do, like, it's hard to, like, overcome the on-court basketball arguments for it. And, you know, like, they're obviously sound. It's just, like, I don't know if I want any part of that noxious stew that seems to be going on down there in Utah. I'm like, who's to blame for? What are the causes? And maybe Donovan Mitchell's a big part of it as well. And I guess that's the other guy we can talk about here. I've kind of viewed Mitchell as maybe the better fit with the Raptors, even though, like we've seen, he's maybe uh, not a very good defender. Don't know what's happened to him there. It seemed like he kind of had a bit of defensive juice to him earlier in his career. And it's one of those things, right? Where is it like, is it due to the circumstance and the, the team just kind of melting down around him? Is it, you know, the relationship with Rudy Gobert? Is he just not trying because he wants to get the hell out of, out of, out of Dodge? Like, you know, Mitchell, to me, really would address a lot of the half-court issues as well in a different way than Gobert would, like you laid out. Um, maybe it takes more to get him. Maybe you have to sacrifice a little bit more and you're giving up more of your defensive identity to do it. Do you think there's a fit there with Mitchell? Like, if you had to pick between the two as a fit on the Raptors, Gobert or Mitchell, who you got? I think, frankly, I lean Gobert. And that's not even yeah. to say which guy I think is a better player because I, I do think it's a little bit up in the air. I think Mitchell's had particularly rough playoffs. He's been inefficient offensively, and he's just been getting absolutely toasted defensively. So the point where even if he is on the Raptors, I'm wondering how does any team cover up for him defensively at this point? Right. Um, you know, you especially a team like Toronto that's going to, if they get Donovan and they play small, they're going to be in a similar boat where teams are calling him into switches and who's protecting the rim? Uh, he's blowing by guys. I, I do think that the Raptors again can probably cover for him. They have the connected team defensively, but I, I almost think that they they have really talented players on the wing. Um, mm -hmm. We you know Freddie obviously wasn't also this season. We want to see Scott grow a bit more. I, I it sounds insane because obviously Donovan Mitchell's a such a talented player and it sounds comical to say you wouldn't want him on your team <laughs> um so i don't know if i'm willing to go that far i don't think he's a bad fit i just i think there are on-court arguments for gobert just maybe being someone who helps this particular team more it's kind of like deandre ayton is has so much value to the suns you may not have as, yeah. as much value to other teams but you know he's exactly what they need I think for Toronto, that's kind of how I see someone like Gobert is he may not be a better player than some of these guys in a vacuum, but for a team like Toronto, I can, I can see him bigger. Yeah, makes a lot of sense, man. And look, I, I'm going to retire conversations about jazz trade packages until the <laughs> summer now. It, it felt like a good time considering, um, you know, what we saw last night from the jazz and, you know, the fact that they were going into potentially the final game of the season for the Raptors. But I appreciate your insights on it. And uh, I'm going to be thinking about it nonstop for the next few months. I'm going to say that. Uh, like I said, I think it's far more likely we see a chill off season where the Raptors just kind of let it mm -hmm. marinate and bring it all back and see how it works again in year two of this sort of 
new version of the team. But, you know, again, never underestimate Masai Ujiri's uh, lust for improving the team. And so we'll see. Rohan, this was wonderful. Thank you so much. Before we go, uh, just quick thoughts, like quick like heat fan 101 how do raptors fan ingratiate themselves to the good graces of being heat fans in the next round it's clearly what's going to happen they hate joel mb they're angry about the grifting can't stand james harden and kyle lowry is everybody's favorite son uh you know just a quick like 60 second elevator pitch on why the heat will be a delight to root for the next round I mean, it's really to me more of enemy of my enemy is my friend. I don't I, <laughs> from the interactions I've seen, I don't know that, that Raptors fans and Heat fans have always gotten along. But uh, yeah, I just think it's uh, they're going to have to unite uh, in a defense against Joel Embiid. And I'll say this: Kyle Lowry is doing all the Kyle Lowry things that he used to do in Toronto, getting under opponents' skin, uh, shooting timely pull-up threes, uh, just playing an incredible floor game. They put him in with the backups, and, and he has fantastic runs. Like, you're going to get to see Kyle Lowry do a lot of the things that he used to do with the Raptors, so there's that. But it, some of it's just going to have to be grin and bear it because the culture <laughs> uh, conversations are going to be insufferable. And I, I, But if you want to see a team with a good chance to take down uh, the team that's presumably going to knock the Raptors out, I, I think the Heat uh, should be able to put up a good fight at the very least. Yeah, I uh, I'm looking for it's going to be. I think Matt Moore from Locked On Nuggets uh, pointed out that it's going to be like the delete your account series uh, for, for Twitter fans. Like it's yes. going to be totally toxic and terrible. But as an outside observer, it's going to be awesome, and I can't wait to soak it all in. The last time the Heat and Sixers played in a playoff series, like four years ago, it was like a five game series, but it was an absolute bloodbath. And like I feel like things have only gotten more elbowy since then between these two teams. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll wrap it there Rohan thanks so much for hanging out man it was awesome to get you on the show hopefully we can do it again sometime uh, where can people check out your work anything in particular you would like to plug oh, I appreciate that man um, just after you listen to Locked on Raptors I, I want to make sure that people continue to have Locked on Raptors be their first listen of the day but if you're looking <laughs> for more broader NBA content uh, please feel free to check us out on Open Floor uh, we try to have a good time on that podcast and uh, I think people would enjoy it if they checked it out uh, I will uh, at some point uh, I'll bully Pina into answering one of my emails about Celtics trades again. I, I tried to get him to answer one earlier this year about like a Jalen Brown for Gary Trent Jr. swap that I thought made sense. Uh, <laughs> he, he refused to answer it on the podcast. That's fine. Uh, I'll get back on him again whenever we see the next Celtics malaise uh, and start stirring that pot. Either way, Rohan, thanks so much. Everyone go check out Open Floor. It's fantastic. And uh, thanks for tuning in to Locked on Raptors. We'll be back again on Saturday from a, for a live show from Scotiabank Arena after game number four. Win or lose, and Katie Heindel is going to pop on there as well from the arena, and uh, we'll break it all down, whether it's the, the eulogy time or looking ahead to game five. We'll be there probably around, I would guess, 5 or 5.30 Eastern time. So keep an eye out and go subscribe to the YouTube channel to set reminders for that. And uh, with that, have a good one. Enjoy your Friday. We'll talk to you again on Saturday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.